So I, I like to visualize that a company is kind of like a tree, a living entity. It grows, it goes through changes, it may flourish, it may even die. I kind of see that the marketing and sales department are like the branches or the leaves of the trees. Then if you work your way down, you get to the trunk. This is kind of like the product. Then you get to the finance department, which is really kind of like the roots. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. Onto the show today, I'm thrilled to welcome Corey Noyick, finance manager at Platters, an online catering marketplace that allows companies to receive personalized menus from local restaurants and caterers. Platters offers personalized solutions for your company's meals and events from planning to delivery and everything in between. Corey is a finance leader at Platters. He helped lead Platters' $15 million Series A fundraising and expand their geographical footprint to 12 cities across three countries. Prior to joining Platters, Corey was working with both public and private companies at Deloitte, providing assurance services and transaction support. Corey obtained his CPA CA designation while at Deloitte and holds an Honors of Business Administration degree from the Ivy School of Business at Western University. And so, without further ado, let's bring in Corey Noick, Finance Manager at Platters. Hey, Corey, it's a pleasure to have you on The Backbone, and I want to jump right into it. So prior to joining Platters, you were at Deloitte. Now, how has the transition been into tech for you, and what made you decide to join the company in the first place? Yeah, uh, first off, thanks a lot for having me. And yeah, so far, the transition's been really good. Uh, I will say it's been a ton of learning. The biggest thing for me right now is that I've moved into a position that I feel I've actually been able to create and actually see the influence and impact that I've actually been able to see on the business. Whereas when I was at Deloitte, I was doing a lot of more, since I was in the audit field, I was doing a lot more of observing and, and seeing the results after they had taken place. So with audit, you're always really kind of looking backwards, whether you're coming in three to six months after the year end. So from where I am right now, the transition to actually being able to actually impact business and see my changes and really live with the results of the things that I've done has been really a good experience and a, and a great learning for me. Awesome. And, and so tell me a bit more about Platters. What does the company do and what is it all about? Yeah, for sure. So we are the marketplace for corporate catering. So we are the middleman that will connect corporates um, and other businesses to local restaurants and caterers. Basically, instead of having those traditional same old uh, meals that you'd have for training, such as the sandwiches, we help link companies to trendy spots and get you fed with the best type of meals in the city. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit familiar with platters because we use it at uh, Shopify. However, like look, for someone who's hearing about it for the first time, would you say it's kind of like Uber Eats, but for companies? Is that like a fair way to put it? Or do you not like when people word it that way? It's a good way for people to kind of understand and, and put it at an individual level. The difference is, though, is that our mantra really is about kind of bringing everyone together through culture. So instead of just having, you know, like on Uber Eats, when you order your one meal and then take it away and go eat it at your desk, 
we really want to facilitate the culture aspect of it and bringing everyone together while getting to experience local restaurants and caterers. That's the biggest thing as well, is that we're helping out instead of having the traditional large cafeteria and having that type of traditional maybe meals that have been sitting out for a little while, we give you that exposure and ability to actually have some trendy and and interesting meals instead. Such as, for example, we do pop-ups. So the other day, actually, we had, um, it was build your own poke bowls, which was pretty cool to be able to, in your office, have them come and fully set up that experience and actually get from a culture standpoint and everyone in the office experiencing that type of thing is very different than what you can expect from one of the more B2C uh, business to consumer alternatives. For sure. And I've experienced a couple of the build your own formats myself, and they definitely um, are conversation starters and they're definitely great for, for culture. Exactly. Like you were saying, so maybe even you from an experience, how have you noticed the difference between kind of us and maybe the traditional, if you tried one of the B2C uh, competitors with yourself? I mean, the B2C competitors I would use at home. Um, so that, that's uh, it's when I would need something quickly. And it's it's definitely, like you said, it's not evolved around like the culture aspect of it or like it's even if it's for like facilitating for uh, a group, you know, dinner or eat or whatever it is, they're just coming and delivering it to you. They're not like facilitating a, a group meal. Um, you're creating that environment yourself. Exactly. Like, like our company motto is food loves company. So we really are trying to get away from people just sitting alone and eating at their desk and bringing everyone together and enjoying what they can eat. That's awesome. And going back to to the first bit, is that one of the reasons why that made you join the company or why why did you think about joining Platters? Yeah. So when I was uh, at Deloitte, I was actually there for about four years. I was in the audit practice. I was enjoying what I was doing. I, I felt like I was really helping businesses. I was getting great insight into a lot of different companies. But I always saw myself, uh, I had an interest in tech, and I always saw myself also going into a company that was kind of at that point that they needed someone internal, first-time finance role, that I could really get a lot of exposure, a lot of experience, and, and learn a lot. Get my hands dirty, something, you know, not having the full structure in place, and being able to really learn by doing. So I wasn't really going to leave for the traditional senior financial analyst roles or any of the traditional routes that uh, most auditors do go in their next progression. However, the opportunity did come up. I was, I'll be completely honest, extremely hesitant at first. Like I said, I was quite happy at Deloitte. I enjoyed my team. I enjoyed the audits I was on. But it was actually at the recommendation of my girlfriend. She actually pushed me really hard and she said, Corey, this is exactly the position that you've been asking for. This is the exact thing that you've been looking for. Why would you not do it? And basically at that point, I said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to listen to you. You're a very smart person. And I did it. And since that point, I haven't looked back at all. That's awesome. So from what I gather between, you know, your your comment about Platters and, and what I know about it, Platters is a localized marketplace that connects restaurants within a city where they operate to companies looking to cater meals at the office. So like I mentioned, you cater meals to companies like Shopify, Uber, Top Hat, and WeWork, to name a few. And so as the finance leader, what metrics and KPIs are you most interested in and that are most important to you in this setting? Yeah, for sure. So as a finance individual, uh, you obviously have your traditional metrics in trying to put together the financial statements, but it's also just as important in looking at the reporting metrics and also key KPIs such as growth metrics, retention of customers, and really understanding the customer behaviors and trends. You're trying to use this for your ability to predict and forecast revenues in the growth market. So like you said, um, we have all those type of customers and users, but we are very much so at the mercy almost at the ordering trends of those customers. So it's very hard to try and gauge and get an understanding for what their ordering habits may be. 
For example, a company could have an offsite and it's coming up in a few months that you don't know if the ordering habits will actually change and you may need to adjust your revenue forecast or things like that. So it's really getting an understanding of your retention and those trends of customer behaviors that will help you actually build and predict what you will be doing in revenue terms and in growth terms in your market. Gotcha. That makes sense. Now, one of the things I want to dive a bit more into is the concept of this localized marketplace. So today, you're currently in 10 different cities across Canada and the United States. What considerations do you make when assessing a new market to expand into? And then how do you assess whether a new market is financially viable? I imagine that in your time, the number of cities has expanded. So maybe walk through what are some of the considerations that you make when deciding Yeah, that. it's actually been quite amazing. So when I started, we were actually only in Toronto and Waterloo. And since then, we've expanded to all major metropolises. We are in New York, Chicago, Boston, LA, San Francisco, the list goes on. And really, for the start of it right now, we are looking at major metropolis areas. Uh, we do look, though, at tech hubs and strong corporate presences in each of the in each of the cities that we are going to launch. Right now, really, the U.S. market, it's a pretty strong and competitive market, and it's just continuing to grow. So for right now, that's really how we're launching our cities is going big city after big city. And it so far has paid off pretty well. That makes sense. Are there any like particular leading indicators that you look for uh, as it comes to like, let's say the first 30 days in any kind of major metropolis, you expect to hit certain key KPIs. And then if you don't hit them, would you like look to backtrack in those cities and and look to open elsewhere? Like, are there any types of um, checks and balances that you think about? Yeah, for sure. It really starts with that understanding that market, um, trying to get a good understanding of the total attainable market in that area. Um, The corporate demographic, I'd say is really important. Like I said, for a lot of times, uh, tech would be a key indicator of if meal programs are thing that's being offered in that area. That's why San Francisco, all of a couple of cities in California have been such a good opportunity for us. But it's actually interesting because also with corporate headquarters, so cities like Philadelphia um, that do have a lot of corporate headquarters have actually been a pretty good spot for us as well. Um, New York, obviously, because the trend is not to make your own lunch there. So things like that, that will actually spark up and be a good way for us to tell if the market has a lot of potential as well. And so during your tenure at as the finance leader at Platters, the company has gone on to raise $18 million in Series A funding. And so talk to me about that process and what that was like for you. Yeah. So first off, it was a really fun process. It was great to be part of the full process. So I am still helping out and and running a lot of the legal aspects of our company. I assist a bit in the HR side of things. And then I'm also, of course, uh, leading a lot of the finance things as well. Getting to see what goes into a Series A and any fundraising for that matter was quite a large learning curve, but an amazing experience to see from whether it was initial conversations and preparing the deck or building the model that will go into the investors or handling even the due diligence process for the legal side of things. But it was a great opportunity to get a really good understanding of what it really takes and how long the process is and everything that that really goes into that. Yeah, for sure. And so what would you say would be the most challenging part of the process? And how would you overcome that challenge for, let's say, your Series B raise? I think the hardest thing for a Series A specifically would definitely be ready and what I mean in terms of that is that if you haven't raised fund before, 
uh, a lot of due diligence questions, they really want to see everything about your company. And so if you really haven't put in the time and effort to make sure one that you understand your company, but two that you have all the right information and documents put together, it can be a pretty stressful and long process. Um, and that would be my advice for even going into series B. It's really about getting ready. It's never too early to start the process and getting ready. And by that, I mean, having strong set of reporting and strong maintenance of your actual data. So whether that's setting up a strong data room, whether that's setting up a system for a cap table, even, but really doing things proactively to make sure that when the time comes, you're ready and you're not waiting or slowing down the process by any means. Because the last thing you want while you're raising funds is to really be slowing down the process. 100%. And last question here before we move into our quick fire round, and that is, in your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function within a high growth technology company like Platters? I'd have to say that it's really the stability and the support network of the company. It really is should be the driver also for a lot of the business functions, all of the key insights, all of the key information, we are the hub for all of the data that comes into the company. And we really do need to help and support the company to be able to grow, allow them to give information so that we can help actually get into new markets, see opportunities and make wise decisions. I like to visualize a company. I I always like using analogies. So I I like to visualize that a company is kind of like a tree. It's a a living entity. It grows, it goes through changes, it may flourish, it may even die. I kind of see that the marketing and sales department are like the branches or the leaves of the trees. They always get the visibility, they have the bright colors, they showcase all the great opportunities and capabilities of the company. They're very agile and can move quickly with the winds and the trends of the market. Then if you work your way down you get to the trunk. This is kind of like the product. So they're the core bulk of the company and what the company is actually selling. Again, they're agile, but they're a bit slower to move, but they can at least adapt to their surroundings. Then you get to the finance department, which is really kind of like the roots. Although they're not often seen from the surface, the external roots are really what dictate and and tend to track where the actual company will grow. So they'll direct which way, and like I said before, based on all the data and insights and everything, that may not be as flashy or as outwards facing, but they really should be that support and foundation that really help the business grow. The other thing that's also important to remember and why they're really similar to the roots is that just because the finance department is on the bottom, they still do stretch and help beyond the length of even those branches and help with all other areas of the actual company, whether it is helping with marketing with key insights and helping out with sales with key KPIs and getting better insights into the company. Wow, that's uh, quite the you know visualization. I love the way that you've portrayed that. Uh, I can say confidently, you know, after speaking with thirty plus finance leaders on this uh, podcast, no one has ever described it in that way, and it really painted such a vivid picture of what the finance function does, and it's so accurate. That that was incredible. Thanks. Yeah, I always like to say that if you can find a good analogy, it's always better to visualize and understand and also even appreciate. It's one of those things when you just say, yeah, you know, we're the back, like we're the backbone of the organization. It's very hard to say like, okay, I want to, I want to visualize and understand of how much support and how much I really mean to this company. And it really is that I like the tree analogy because it's, I can't picture a tree even standing or living or continuing without those roots and those people helping at the bottom. And they may not always get the recognition, but they're so important. Um, and, and that's really why I do always like thinking like that. So what I'd like to do now is jump into our quick fire round. The way this works is I'll ask you some questions and you have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? 
Perfect. Let's try. <laughs> all right. So what is your go-to online resource for all things startup finance or growth finance related? Yeah. So I like always checking the news. I always start my day with the term sheet and then I also go into Crunchbase, see what's up there. Um, and then I actually like checking a bit of Twitter just for the headlines. What's your favorite productivity hack? I'd have to say sticky notes. I love small lists of tasks. It also helps me prioritize. You can have a bunch of them overlapping each other, or a bunch of them on the sides. But the best part about the sticky note is that you can actually, after you complete a task, cross it out. And if you finish the full task that was listed on that sticky note, you get to actually crumple it up and throw it out. I find having a mm. physical trigger of being able to actually, you know, crumple it up and say, yes, I got through something makes you feel that much more accomplished, make you feel that much better for the day. And you can really having small tasks and each on its own sticky note can make your day seem a lot more productive and give you a lot more satisfaction when you look back and see a big pile sitting on the floor. What's the one thing you don't leave the office before finishing? The one thing before I leave the office, I'd actually say cleaning my desk. So I find that being organized starts with your workspace, as corny as that sounds, but I really like being able to stay organized. I find, and especially now that <laughs> during tax season and everything like that, with having a lot of papers and everything coming my way, that really, if you don't clean up your desk, it can soon turn into a nightmare and that's when you lose track. That's when you lose focus and you can't keep up with everything. So I really try to, before I leave at the end of the day, always make sure that my workspace is clean. What's uh, one tech jargon that makes you cringe? Push nights, I guess. <laughs> Every time. Since I've joined the tech space, all I hear is from the devs. It's going to be a push. It's going to be a big push night. And then they send the Slack notes after with everything on them. I don't know why it makes me cringe, but something about the anticipation of what will have changed overnight or what may not work anymore overnight because of those pushes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got to figure it out or, or uh, fix it the day after or whenever it is. Exactly. Um, and then they say, oh yeah, that's in the next push. <laughs> uh, what's the best advice you've received so far in your career? I think it would have to be that it's not a 10 is the phrase. So this one actually goes back to my girlfriend as well. I'm giving her a lot of credit on this, wow. But she always likes to say, and I, and I agree with it and I try to live my life by it as well, is that anytime that you're feeling, whether it's stressed or overwhelmed or angry or anxious, you really need to take a step back and realize, is this the biggest deal? Is this the biggest issue? What can be done? And what I mean by, is it a 10? It means out of a scale of one to 10, how urgent, how bad, how horrible is it right now? And can you step back and for a second and say, you know what, before I get aggravated, before I get stressed, what level is this? And really nail down and, and understand before you get to a point that you can't go back, you say, okay, is this really a 10 or is there something else I can do? It happens to me numerous times during the day that something will come up. Someone sends you an urgent email, I need this done. Someone says, hey, this just got messed up, we need to do this. And really, if you take a step back and you say, okay, it's not a 10 and you can compose yourself and then go reassess and say, okay, what are my options here? How will I deal with this? What will get me through this? It's a really good way to make sure that you, one, solve everything appropriately, two, keep your cool, 
and three, that everything gets done. Wow, I like that a lot. Uh, definitely taking a step back to assess and look at the bigger picture definitely is helpful. Well, thanks again, Corey. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you about platters, about your journey, thinking about what are the KPIs that, that as a finance leader of a localized marketplace that you should be thinking about, as well as some of the learnings that you shared in terms of raising platters series A and what, some of the things that you would uh, look to do differently. And lastly, um, your analogy uh, about the finance function uh, in, a, in a tech company was something that, like I said, hadn't heard before. So I uh, really loved it. And uh, thanks again for jumping on the backbone. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Take care. Bye now. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of The Backbone. What an awesome discussion with Corey Noick finance manager at Platters. If you enjoyed this show, check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on The Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you for listening all the way through and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.